0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC.
1: So let's talk about the night of that Troubadour show. All five of them held their own as far as stage presence. Whatever I looked at with the camera, I pulled the trigger. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the first 50 gigs, Guns N' Roses, and the Making of Appetite for Destruction. I'm Jason Porath, I'm your host today. So Mark, uh, welcome back. Hey guys. As you know, we're here to talk about the final stop of the incestuous revolving doors that spun for the last couple years since you started following Slash, in and out of different bands. We covered Rose, Hollywood Rose, the new Hollywood Rose, We covered Road Crew, we covered Titus Sloan, we covered LA Guns, and we covered the original Guns N' Roses. And we talked a little bit about London, so there's a lot of bands that these guys were in and out of, but that revolving door now stops at the Appetite lineup of Guns N' Roses. And we got here because Tracy and Rob dropped out. Duff had scheduled this shakeout tour to to Seattle, and Tracy decided he didn't want to go. Because Tracy and Rob were a team, I think Rob felt compelled to follow Tracy out of the band, despite the other band members like Axel and and Izzy and Duff trying to keep him in. But he leaves. And then they need to quickly find a guitarist and a drummer because they've got a show at the Troubadour and they're gonna go to do this Northwest tour. So what happens? You know, who thought of Slash and Steven? How did this unfold?
1: Well, I know that Slash was working at Tower Video, where Axel once worked before that, but was no longer working there. But they knew where to find Slash, and I think that's pretty much what happened. Axel and Izzy probably went to his work at at, at uh, Tower, Tower Video and mentioned the fact that they got a gig booked at the Troubadour, and they got this little Northwest tour booked, and, you know, uh, Tracy's out. Do you want in? And Slash had just joined Black Sheep. So not that he was happy in Black Sheep, but he was just joined literally two weeks before that. And that was their first gig. They were just about getting ready to do their first gig, like probably that day. It was a decision Slash had to make. Believe it or not, as much as I love, I, I I loved that lineup to be together, I didn't think it would hold. And I, you know, I, I just, because I'd, I'd seen it and they worked great together, but as, as musically, but it, there was always things that that make that made it fall apart between them, and I just didn't think it was steady. But the only difference is this time is you had Izzy, where last time Izzy really wasn't involved, so that could, that could help things a little bit. But obviously Slash made the right decision, quit Black Sheep, joined up with them, and you know, f- uh, five, four or five days later they had their first gig. And- Slash
0: had a history already with Axel not necessarily with Izzy. um, And that didn't work out very well. So he had this gig with Black Sheep, and you thought that was more of a sure thing uh, that he could hang on to, but that going to Guns N' Roses with Axel would just result in them breaking up once again, which was predictable given the history that we just came through.
1: It was very predictable, except for one thing. Slash knew that Izzy was a player, someone that, that, that could really help out in many ways and last time Izzy was gone before just a slash joined in Izzy was out so this time was a little different and, and you know obviously they knew each other's talents and they knew they were the right fit the right pieces for that to make that puzzle good so it, you know it sounded really good on paper I just didn't know how if it would last more than three months that was my only issue And Black Sheep was a band that might have been signed and it might have had a record deal. And and so I didn't think Slash would last in Black Sheep either, actually. But I thought it was a better stepping stone that he'd get recognized and, and, you know, somebody would pull him out to go to the next level.
0: Are you telling us that Slash actually came to you for advice after he got invited into Guns N' Roses?
1: He didn't come for advice, but I think I gave the advice. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I think I, maybe there was a conversation, I don't remember exactly, but he was on the fence. That it's, it's not like he made the decision. He, he didn't make the decision in one second. Okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm at, forget Black Sheep, I'm, in, I'm with, back with these guys. He had briefly worked with Duff, um, in road crew for about a week, and, and so Duff was cool. You know, we know Axel's good, and 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 he wanted to work with Izzy, so it his heart was in there. His heart was in there.
0: But the important thing is that you know Axel, Izzy, and and Duff probably unanimously wanted to go with Slash as the guitarist. It sounded like they hadn't made a decision around the drummer. Maybe they were holding auditions quickly, but Stephen came along for the ride probably because Slash brought him in. And initially, from from what we've read, you know, he was, he was there to fill in. But at some point, he really wanted to stay and he convinced the others that, you know, he was the guy.
1: Well, I don't remember him trying out, you know, just hanging around until they find somebody else. I just knew that when Slash was in, so was Steven. They seemed to me like they both came at the same time. But I kind of recall Steven telling this story that Steven was in before Slash. So it's hard. I don't
0: know. We're left to speculate here. The important thing is that Tracy and Rob dropped out. Slash and Steven came in, and now you have the Appetite lineup of Guns and Roses, but not solidified at all. This was just the latest incarnation of you know the the switching up of band players, but not necessarily. It didn't. It wasn't necessarily like because these five guys now got together in this incarnation of Guns N' Roses, which used to be LA Guns, which used to be Hollywood Rose, didn't mean that they were gonna stay together.
1: Well, there's a couple things, obviously, that that made this solidify, but I think the very first piece of this, the very first piece to make it work, was Izzy and Duff have to get the credit for hiding one of Steven's bass drums, because that changed the dynamic completely. And, you know, I know Duff said it was first few notes. It was like lightning hit the place or whatever. But I believe it because when I saw that band on June 6th, the Troubadour for the first time, I didn't go to the rehearsals or there might have only been one rehearsal. To me, it was the same. Yeah, that's what happened. Lightning hit the place. Everybody was doing everything right. Everybody was playing their part right. And it seemed like they were together for months. If Steven was still playing double, double bass drums, it wouldn't have been as good. It would have been completely different.
0: After Steven and Slash came into the fold, they had one rehearsal before the Troubadour show. Now, this Troubadour show was already scheduled. The flyers were already printed. And those flyers had Rob and Tracy in them as the band members, not Slash and Steven. But they did rehearse right before that at a studio in Silver Lake. And both Slash and Duff, who we interviewed, had some great things to say about that rehearsal. So let's hear from them.
2: Eventually, a Guns N' Roses was formed out of the combination of the people from Hollywood Rose, which was Izzy and Axel's band, and LA Guns, which was Tracy, Tracy's group. And so that sort of came together, and they called it Guns N' Roses. And then Axel had a falling out with Tracy and came to me and said if I wanted to do it. And at that point, Stephen wasn't in the picture. They had this guy named Rob Gardner playing drums. So it was Duff, Izzy, Axel, and myself. And we uh, set out to do this uh, Northwest tour. You know uh, Seattle and Oregon and all that, and uh, when it when that became a reality, I mean we're talking about like a conversation that took up a couple days, and all of a sudden we were going, you know, and uh, Rob Rob couldn't cut it. He wasn't. He was scared to go. So I called Stephen, and Stephen came down, and we had one day of rehearsal, and it really it was like a synergy that happened that was just basically like it was like we've been playing together for years, and we had maybe. Two or three rehearsals, I think, and
3: uh, packed up an oldsmobile and a U-Haul and set off for <laughs> set off for Seattle. And Izzy and Axel and I were just like, "Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's go on the road. Let's let's do this thing." And and when I, I, and this is nothing against Tracy or or Rob, but they were more concerned with where we were going to stay, how we were going to get there. And Izzy and Axel and myself just didn't care. That's right. not it you're didn't gonna, matter. Let's get to it. the gig. You know, let's do the gigs so uh uh you know Tracy and Rob said no but we, we don't want to do that they got they they got scared at the, at the on the at the 11th hour and um that's as I remember that's when we called slash and Steven. and right. they came into that rehearsal place not Nikki beats but another one in Silver Lake Steven came in with all his drums. Izzy and I hid a bunch of them in like the next room, told the, the owner guy to the studio don't let Steven in and and we rehearsed in the first like few chords with the five of us, it was like like lightning hit the place. You know, everybody could feel it. That this was
1: This was it. This was
3: it. You know, the first time in a we, we've all been in a bunch of bands, a bunch of different lineups of those bands. Uh, it wasn't until this, these five guys, that that day was probably the most important day of the five of our uh, lives, you know, as, as players, as musicians, you know, definitely um, it, it ranks up there because that's when we all knew it was solidified. This was the best band that any of us had come close to being in. And it was because it was the five different
0: guys. (laughs) To watch the video podcast of the first 50 gigs, that includes exclusive photos and videos from this episode and the entire season, join our growing community on Patreon and subscribe. Both uh, Slash and Steven literally said the same thing they said it was like lightning hit the room. So there was something that clicked that they all recognized was there. And then they go and they play this troubadour show, which you shot. You knew about this ahead of time, I guess Slash let you know that um, you should come and shoot the first show of this new incarnation of of Guns N' Roses. So you showed up with your camera. I remember you telling me that you brought four rolls of film, uh, but you also recorded this. Can you tell us about the experience leading up to this first show? Did you think it was going to be anything different than anything else? Was there anything special about it? Or you were just showing up like every other show that Slash had played?
1: Well, both. I mean, I knew everyone in the band. And to me, it was just a a new incarnation of Hollywood Rose. It, It was Hollywood Rose with Duff and now Izzy, which Izzy's supposed to be in Hollywood Rose anyways. But we never got... When Slash was in Hollywood Rose, Izzy was out. So it's basically uh, Hollywood Rose with a cherry on top because you got Duff and you got uh, Izzy and you're missing Stevens, one of Steven's bass drums. So you got, everything's just a little different. They got, you know, Don't Cry is the new song that was put together for that gig, plus a handful of other songs that they had that I knew about from the past. But, you know, to hear Don't Cry that night the way the guitar solo just fit in—it sounded it sound just like it did on the record. Actually, later on, uh, whatever Slash ripped out worked, and he kept it. You know, you got to hear four or five registers of Axel's voice in that song, and so everyone knew that was that new Axel that he could sing. Of course, uh, but that was just—you know—that was just like hitting the nail right on the head. I mean, that one was a home run, and, and so you just knew that this is a great band. Only good is going to come from this. Whatever songs they end up putting together from that point on are going to be great.
0: Yeah, so how did Slash and Steven learn the songs in one rehearsal and then show up to the Troubadour and play? Is that because they had played these songs throughout these various bands prior to that?
1: Yes, all all the songs played at that first gig other than Don't Cry were all songs that Slash and Steven had played in Hollywood Rose.
0: Yeah, I've actually got the set list right here. It looks like it's Reckless, Shadow of Your Love, Think About You, Move to the City, Don't Cry, Uh, Nice Boys, Don't Play Rock and Roll, Uh, Back Off Bitch and Anything Goes.
1: Think About You is a song that Slash and and, and, um, Stephen were were not familiar with. And Move to the City was another song that they were not familiar with. So they actually there's three songs that they had to learn in that week. The rest of them they had, they'd known from Hollywood Rose past. So yeah, in one week they learned those three songs plus, you know, got tight on the rest of the set. They also had, you know, Jumpy Jack Flash and, and Nice Boys in there. Um, Jumping Jack Flash was not a song that Hollywood Rose had played before. So that was also a new one. Although they had to learn it. It was, you know, Jumpy Jack Flash was a song you've heard all your life. So it's not like, that hard to do, but they they certainly pulled it off in in that in those four or five days. And and, you know that that Slash and Steven had joined the band. And as far as I know, they only had one rehearsal.
0: Yeah, they didn't have much time. They only had a few days before the Troubadour show. Right. Uh, so they didn't they didn't really have a lot of time. So let's talk about the night of that Troubadour show. What sticks out for you arriving there? You've got your camera, your gear, had you recorded shows before you you came prepared with a with a cassette tape recorder and the night kicks off why don't you tell us just about the beginning of that
1: well i used to put my recorder in my in my my jacket side pocket and i had a little microphone i'd bring it through the arm and stick it on my watch uh so i can catch you know so it's a better recording but
0: was that to hide it from the from the bouncers did you have to hide the fact that you were recording it
1: no i mean i don't know if they let you record it or not but um probably they don't but it was not a matter to hide it It it's a matter of i don't where am i gonna i'm shooting the show i can't hold it i got to put it somewhere if i stick it in my pocket without a little microphone in it it's going to get muffled you know you're going to hear the pocket muffle or whatever so the microphone gives you audience sound uh just so happens that night uh, there was a problem with the mic, and I think it came out a little bit. Uh, it didn't go in all the way in the recorder, and so most of it was muffled until I figured it out. It's, maybe at some point I went to see if I needed to turn the tape over, you know, because, and it, that's probably when I saw that it, the microphone wasn't in properly. So I have the show, the whole show, but some, a lot of it didn't sound really well, wasn't really great.
0: The the jack separated from the attachment of the microphone, and yeah. So then, it defaulted to the to the device's microphone, which was buried in your jacket, right, which, which then resulted in this muffled sound. Uh, and right, and I've heard this show. You know, this is a show that I'm sure every fan wants to hear, uh, and uh, and it is it's tough, it's muffled, um, but there's some stuff that's salvageable from it.
1: That when I what I did was I made the tape from one tape to another later, trying to fix it. And I, you know, you could put the recording levels up, I'd put them up up all the way because it was so quiet that you couldn't hear it at all. So, what I did by doing that, you could hear it better, but it's even more noisier because it's just you've amplified the muffle, so it's just more muffle, but at least you hear the music. But forget about what the tape recorder heard. I know what I heard, and what I heard was. Hitting the hammer right on the nail. Axel was clean and perfect, and you could hear the band members, the mix, the sound man. Everybody did, everybody did their job. The guitar solos were, you know, just insane. Like I said, I'm um, all of a sudden they're, they're playing "Don't Cry" a song I never heard, and then Slash just rips into this guitar solo. It's the same one we all know now, and so it's clean. You know, it's it was just you know perfect, perfect.
0: So you, you had a lightning kind of strike moment yourself yeah. when watching these five guys?
1: Yeah, and not only that, but all five of them held their own as far as stage presence. Whatever I looked at with the camera, I pulled the trigger. The thing with when you're shooting a show, you'll look sometimes and you don't pull the trigger because it's not something that it just doesn't grab you so you look for something else to do then you try to frame two people in one photo maybe that will do it because it's not working any other way well that night i i went back and i shot individual photos of everybody so i got just izzy just up just axel just Sl- of course i'm always going to get slash I've always, you know i grew up with slash so i'm gonna i'm, I'm more partial partial to getting more Slash than anyone else just because that's that's just my nature but you know, it was just, it was good. Energy was coming off of all of them from all angles. So whatever whatever you did, wherever you looked, you were getting something good.
0: Yeah, it's great. You know, if I, if I look through these, so we have 42. You said you shot four rolls of film. I don't know how many pictures were on each roll, but we've scanned a total of 42 of them. And the majority of them are individual shots. You went around and you profiled each of these guys and then there's a couple great ones with um, Slash, Izzy, and Axel together. Um, so Axel and Izzy are, are singing, and, and Slash has you know his solo. There's a couple great group shots, but the majority of your shots are these incredible kind of solo hero shots, which I think is pretty interesting, given that it was the first time they played together, and and you decided to kind of do a hero shot for each one of these guys.
1: That's because they they earned it. <laughs> They were, that's what was, that was the energy coming off of them. You're producing energy, I'm going to, and I'm shooting the show, I'm going to capture it. I'm like, uh, like a news reporter, wherever the, I'm reporting the news and the news is there was, there was news to report on everyone.
0: You know, looking through some of your shots here, you know, the first thing I noticed is that Slash is playing, I think it's a BC Rich, it's, it's his red guitar.
1: It's a BC Rich warlock. It was actually kind of an expensive guitar he saved up to get. It doesn't really fit who we know Slash is now, but it, it it worked. It's more of a, it looks more like, it fit him in Black Sheep better than it did in Guns N' Roses. But with Slash, you know, Slash holding any guitar, he's gonna make it look good. What I
0: also noticed in some of these shots is that he's wearing a hat. Now it's not the top hat, but it does have the medallions around it. And it sort of looks like what would evolve into a top hat. I hadn't seen him wear anything like this before, Uh, Where did this come from?
1: Probably his girlfriend. Okay.
0: I just think it's interesting. The first time they played together, he's got a hat on. Uh, That's not necessarily the case, as we will see in the rest of these shows leading up until he actually gets top hat. It's
1: true. The first Guns N' Roses show Slash had a hat on. I don't think he had it for the whole show, though. I kind of remember a couple things without that hat
0: and then the only other thing I can see is, you know, Axel's got his chaps. Uh, maybe he starts the show in a kilt. I don't know if this was the first time he used a kilt, uh, but eventually the kilt comes off, uh, as do t-shirts and other things as they go on. Was Is there anything there to talk about?
1: No, it was just different. I mean, he might have used a kilt before that. There was a handful of the shows that they did with Tracy that I didn't attend, so I don't really know what he looked like. Although, come to think of it, I think there was a girl that shot some photos, and I might have seen that kilt uh, before that. But it it was interesting. I had never seen the kilt before, and I thought it was interesting that, you know, that's just doing something different.
0: To preview the full experience of the first 50 gigs video podcast that includes exclusive photos and videos from Mark's Archive, check out the first 50 gigs YouTube channel. You'll find the link right here in our episode show notes. Just going back to the show, I wanted to point out a few more things. One, obviously we see Steven with a single bass. Uh, Did they remove the double bass to kind of reduce the bass or to, or to slow him down?
1: Uh, they removed it to slow him down. To, so, to, so there's a back and forthness. Uh, it was just too loud. And Stephen was a massive double bass drummer. You know, it was overpowering. And for what they were doing, there were no songs that needed double bass in them. What they did was a perfect fit to, to Stephen. I mean, there's no other drummer that could have filled in that spot better than Stephen for what they were doing
0: looking at these photos, Mark, is there anything else that you want to remark on before we continue on?
1: Well, Slash was 19 years old. So, you know, he's already just got that stage presence. Actually, they all had stage presence, but, uh, Izzy and, uh, Izzy and, and, uh, and were, uh, you know, three years older. So they had been, you know, they're not 19 anymore. They're, they're 21, 22, something like that. So, but to me, Slash was still a kid at, at 19. And, um, you know, he carried himself well and, 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 you know, they all did actually, but that's the only thing that, that, that really stands out is uh, other than the Charles Manson behind slash. Um, there's one picture that's actually in the reckless Road book. That's one of my favorite shots of slash. And in the background, you could see that Charles Manson photo on the wall, but as far as Slash's equipment, uh he was going back and forth with Marshall cabinets, then he had wrists on, then he went back to Marshall. He the thing with Slashes, he would he would get something in his brain and, 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 and focus on it and work his ass off to get it. And then like, you know, two or three weeks later realize he made a mistake. And then go back and buy the, uh, go, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd have that Marshall amp and he'd sell it in the recycler and buy this other amp. And then a couple of weeks later, he'd say, Oh, I made a mistake. And then he'd go back and buy the Marshall again. So, you know, Slash, Slash experimented with different things.
0: So, yeah, it sounds like Slash was somewhat of a perfectionist or he was really just tweaking things to find the right sound for him.
1: Yeah, I remember like back, going back to even the Titus Sloan days back to 1981, 1982 he would go to guitar center and get this little you know a a little device and you know he'd use it he'd write a song for it and and then all of a sudden like two three months later he he got rid of it he sold it he didn't want that effect anymore he just thought he wanted it and then he you know so he went through different he he experimented a lot with that stuff he was good with the crybaby with the wawa pedal he certainly knew how to use that well uh he wasn't using it he used it in titus sloan and he didn't use it in the beginning of guns but Later on I got him one for his birthday and uh, it, we're, we're jumping in the future, but it ended up on uh, Sweet Child of Mine and, and Brownstone. So, you know, his birthday was in July and those songs came out a month later. So what did he do with it? He put it right to work and, you know, and made the, the best he could from it. So I, I knew that, you know, he definitely knew how to work a wall pedal. And that was something that was missing. You know, in Guns N' Roses, with that Appetite for Destruction lineup, that was a year, over a year without a Wawa pedal. So, and he managed fine, but once we give him that Wawa pedal, it certainly, you know, it, 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 it sent things up a few levels.
0: So there you go. Your genetic f- fingerprint is now in <laughs> Appetite as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. When I, hear, when I hear, every time I hear Brownstone or, 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 Sweet Child of Mine and he, and I hear him playing that Wawa pedal, it's like, I take just a little credit for not for, for making that sound, but for giving him the tools that he needs to make that sound.
0: It's just another example, Mark, of, of you giving them everything they needed to, to find their sound and to do what they did. So, just a couple more things about this show before we move on. I, I want to go back to the image you talked about of Slash playing. Again, it's that hero shot of Slash, and behind him is the Charles Manson image. Is that something that was just at the troubadour, or is that something that GNR? Put up behind them.
1: No, that was something that was hanging at the Troubadour at that time. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know the history behind it. Charles Manson used to play the Troubadour. You know, in, back in the sixties. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it was there.
0: Well, it gives that particular shot a little bit of a uh, sinister quality, <laughs> I guess.
1: Well, I like. I li- slash looks good from the floor up. Uh, a lot of some guitar players you know, they look good from the chest ups, but Slash puts his whole body into what he does. And so I I try to, to, when I was taking pictures of Slash, to get it all, you know, how he stands, all the way, what's going on behind him. So I always put a lens on that was, um, that can capture more.
0: So he put he puts his whole body into the performance.
1: Right, he's leaning in a certain way, and there's just if you crop that out, you're just cropping out the coolness, and you're not getting it at all. So you got close up to Slash, it might be cool, but it's not as cool as seeing the whole Slash.
0: The uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on was you know Rob Gardner had mentioned that. The Appetite lineup of Guns N' Roses really uh, took advantage, or, or or kind of latched onto the following that was already building from LA Guns into the original Guns N' Roses. Do you think anybody in the audience knew that Slash and Steven were going to be there that night? Do you think anybody came to see Tracy and and Rob? Was there any any confusion around that?
1: Uh, uh, well, okay. There was probably like, I'm just going to take a guess. I'd say there was about 50 people there that night. And now of course, uh, out of those 50 people, probably 30 of them were girlfriends or best friends or people they lived with or whatever. Okay. So yeah, Guns N' Roses had a small following before that. Uh, I actually know a a couple of people that stopped going to see them when Tracy weren't there anymore. It's it, it works both ways. Um, that Guns N' Roses was the opening band, I believe. There might I don't know if there was a band before them or not, but they certainly weren't headlining. So Mark,
0: they wrapped the show and now it's time to, to hit the road. They have this Northwest tour that culminates in Seattle. They're going to hit Sacramento, Eugene, Portland, and then Seattle. So they had four or five gigs planned and everybody was on board and they needed some promotional shots. So it sounds like uh, you were able to give them some shots from this first
1: Troubadour show. Is that right? That's correct. When I got them developed the next morning, I picked some shots for them. I had a good shot of everyone except Axel. Axel, there's a shot where he's on his knees and he's screaming his, his heart out. And Axel wasn't thrilled with the picture that the, that was picked that I picked for him. But he wasn't necessarily mad at me either. But there, we met. At, at right where that where those photos were getting developed at, at um, Vine Street and Sunset, there was a Fromex lab there, right across the street from the McDonald's. And there was a little something that went on. Axel got pissed at Slash or somebody. I forgot some one of the other members of the band that were there, and they got into a little spat. And and uh, Axel kind of walked off, and then everyone left but Axel. And me and Axel ended up eating at the McDonald's across the street. And he calmed down a little bit and he apologized for, you know, whatever. And he said, it wasn't my fault. It was just, he he, he knew the picture that was picked was the best I could do with what we had to work with. It's just, he wasn't ex- really excited about or enthused about that particular photo for what, how they were going to use it. And that, that's all I remember from that.
0: You've printed these 8x10s for them. I think they're, they're scheduled to play Seattle on the 9th or the 10th. So they've got to get out of town, like they got to leave. It's a, it's a thousand plus mile drive, you know, 1200 mile drive, they got to, they got to get on the road. So what happens next?
1: Uh, They jump into a car with their equipment and the car makes it about (laughs) a hundred miles out of Los Angeles and then the transmission breaks.
0: I can only imagine the scene and all of their, with all of their gear and whatever they're dressed in leaving, you know, in the wee hours of the morning for Seattle. And, and yeah, they head out. It's a very hot day, apparently. And the car makes it to Fresno before the transmission gives out. This is the shakeout tour that Duff scheduled. Let's see what happens and who gets shaken out. So with that, we will wrap. Uh, Mark, thanks for these great stories. Many of these I hadn't even heard before, so they didn't even make it into Reckless Road. We're, we're very excited to have reached this point in the story when the Appetite lineup first gets together but it's definitely not a sure thing that they're gonna to stay together.
1: It's a good spark. They knew they all wanted to work together, but there was no guarantees uh, on how long it would last. A few more things needed to happen t- to solidify them to keep them together. And Hell Tour was another huge part of that. That's
0: right. And, and this is the one of the major turning points that we're gonna talk about on the next episode. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The First 50 Gigs, Guns N' Roses, and The Making of Appetite for Destruction. To watch the video podcast, access bonus episodes and galleries, and buy show merchandise, join our growing community on Patreon and subscribe.